Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we're going to get to hear directly from a merchant, a successful merchant. We're going to hear a little bit of their story and their philosophy. And I just love these episodes because I love when you get to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and crawl inside the mind of a successful e-commerce operator. And that's what we're doing today. Hey, Brett Curry here. I've got an important question for you. Where will your next big idea come from? Where will your next big breakthrough come from? Or where will your next little tweak or little improvement come from? Have a suggestion. Check out our guides and resources at omgcommerce.com. Are you looking to enhance your YouTube ads game? We have two of the best YouTube ad resources that are completely free. Our YouTube ad examples and templates guide and our guide to getting authentic video customer testimonials. But it doesn't stop there. We also have guides on how to maximize sponsor brand video on Amazon and Amazon DSP and Google Shopping and a variety of other things. So get these free guides, give them to your team, even share them with your agency. Just take advantage of these resources and up your game. Let OMG Commerce help. And now back to the show. Today, joining me on the show is Mr. John Canetta. He's the co-founder of Discount Party Supply, a fantastic e-commerce website. You got to check it out. And so with that, John, welcome to the show and, and thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, really excited about this. So you and I had a chat you know, a few weeks ago, kind of prepping for the podcast. And really, we dove into a lot of topics that I'm, I'm really passionate about, and you are too. And so I can't wait to kind of dive in and allow you to elaborate for our audience. But you said you said something that I think is really interesting and that, that there probably won't be a whole lot of objections to, but I still want to start here as kind of our jumping off point. But you, you mentioned to me that operations are where your profits are, right? And, and I'm a marketing guy, so I love talking about the latest and greatest with ads, whether that's sponsored products and sponsored brand video and Amazon DSP, if you're talking about Amazon or Google search and shopping and YouTube, if you're talking about off Amazon. But I do agree with you that operations are where your profits are. Can, can you elaborate on that though, from your perspective? Sure. Um, you know, we talk about marketing, right? A lot of us get into e-commerce because of a product and marketing. You're like, wow, that's, you can move things pretty quickly, especially at the beginning. Um, as the business grows, and I love marketing, right? You're in the growth yeah, mode, right? Fun. You're marketing like, oh. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and you're, you don't care so much about the spending budget as long as the cash is moving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to a certain size, you have to be able to take a step back and really put on your financial analysis <laughs> and dive into where the profits are in the business because as you're growing the business constantly on marketing and products, well, what's going on in the back end is whatever channel you're you're in, they're taking, as we know, Google, Amazon, they're taking a ton of money. So whether you're on Amazon, diving into things like your box sizes and how much they're charging you for that, or um, Google, how efficient is that is that um, marketing? Now, a lot of marketing people will, you know, they'll grow it 
and then they'll they'll optimize it, right? That back and forth. But you have to take the responsibility to say, I'm diving into this myself and saying, look, you're missing on these negative keywords. Um, operationally, another thing that everything to me, I, I just divide the business in half, right? Marketing is all sales, right? You have to optimize a listing. You have to get product up, video, X, Y, and Z. Then the campaign's going. That's all marketing. A lot of fun. Everyone wants to talk about that. But where is the profits? When all is said and done, you have to dive into that, you know, your P&L and then get even deeper. And I think as entrepreneurs, a lot of us are on that marketing side. So it's kind of like, oh, I'll just keep growing. I'll just keep growing. Reality is you can go in into your Amazon account. You can go into your, you know, your Shopify store and dig through it and be like, this is right here on the table. And I'll, I'll give you a case in point. We had, um, we were shipping Amazon boxes and they were costing 40 to 50 cents a box just to ship into Amazon. Well, we flipped that on over to uh, freight LTL. So we were sending in pallets, 10 cents a box, right? Wow. Now, when you're at scale, when you're scaling, this is like tens of thousands of dollars. And literally within a week, you just boom. So I think putting on, you know, knowing those numbers and, and whether you like it or not, some people are naturally good at analytics, some aren't. You have to you have to put on that financial analysis hat. And that's where the profits is. Yeah. I, and I love no matter so what it is. Yeah. So we just look at the business like that. So grow, let's grow over here with marketing and let's find the profits with the operational aspects. And there's so many different things, right? Between employees, all everything's efficiencies, right? Just saying, okay, we can send in product directly to X, you know, find a new supplier, right? Get a new um you can get new uh, POs lower, right? You, you reduce a pricing. Once you're scaling, these numbers are big numbers. So yeah, that's kind yeah, of how it's I fantastic. look. And, and you, you really nailed it there. You know, marketing is fun. And I, I still absolutely love launching a new campaign and watching it grow. And, and I'll, I'll just use YouTube as an example. I'm working on a, on a YouTube course right now. And, and, you know, there's nothing like seeing a YouTube campaign scale and start to spend thousands of dollars a day profitably. But you really, you always have to be looking for areas of waste, areas of efficiency that you can take advantage of. And you're kind of always looking for these, these little knobs, these little levers to get just a little bit better. And I'll actually, I'll actually plug a book that I really love called Atomic Habits. Highly recommend it. But, but in this book, the, the, the author tells a story, uh, James Clear is his name, tells a story of the British cycling team. And the British cycling team for decades and decades were just terrible, like bottom of the barrel, never won anything. And then this new guy comes along and he teaches the cycling team to look for 1% improvements. How do we get 1% better in lots of little areas? And so they did things like, hey, how can we choose the right fabric for our uniforms? And how do we choose the right seat? And hey, if we put rubbing alcohol on our tires, we get a little bit more grip. And like just looking for all these little 1% improvements, but over the course of time, that leads to huge improvements. And then the cycling team went on to win like five Tour de France's and 100 world records, whatever, like over the course of 10 years, just a dramatic turnaround. And I think the same is true for business, right? You, you're looking for these little ways to find an extra five or $10,000 worth of profit here and there. And that actually allows you to do more, right? You find these areas of efficiency 
It allows you to spend more in marketing if you want to grow faster. It allows you to spend more in new product development and R&D. And so totally agree with you. You have to know where to look. You got to look for inefficiencies and, and ways to improve. And so I want to dive into a specific topic. And this is a topic... We talked about it a couple times on on the podcast. I think it was uh, Mr. Bill D'Alessandro from Elements Brands that that first talked about this topic on on the show. But contribution margin, this is a number that I hear really sophisticated business owners talking about and a number that I don't hear many other people talking about. Uh, So you want to talk about what is contribution margin and why it's such an important metric for you? Sure. Contribution margin in a nutshell. So many people talk about their revenues. Revenues mean nothing. I mean, they mean something, but they ultimately they mean nothing. It's like what's the what's the piggy bank, right? right. Yeah. So you're starting off and saying, when I talk to certain people in my family, hey, how how was your numbers for the year? I never tell them my revenue. I tell them my revenue less my cost of goods sold, less my marketing, right? My contribution margin. So if you know a you have to know a product's profit per channel, right? Each individual product per channel. And then when you get to that point, you you know what that product contributed to the overall business, right? So people have different ways to calculate contribution margin. For me, our ballpark number is just those two, those two numbers, right? So it's just, um, it's ultimately it's, it's, it's post, um, advertising and, and other fees like an Amazon fee or, so it's just your your gross revenue, less cost of goods sold, less your advertising fee. That's kind of where I start because I know what my operating expenses are and those are fairly fixed. So I, I look at those those other two um, and then, then you can dive into cost of goods sold, right? We were talking about that before. Um, and then how efficient is your marketing spend? But then from there, I think it's a, it's a very good, um, just a, a benchmark to say, okay, this product, this quarter contributed this much to the business. Yeah. In this channel, right? So we're going product channel and just getting to that, um, getting to that that benchmark to say right. how right. are we doing? It's really powerful, and, and yeah, I like the simplest definition of contribution margin is just you know sales less cost of goal less cost of goods sold less variable cost, right? And, and the way you kind of define it, I think, is the most common. So we're subtracting out cost of goods, we're subtracting out marketing, and and then you know some other. Uh, variable cost, but we're not really worried about fixed costs or, or anything like that. Our contribution margin is what we use to cover our, our fixed overhead and things like that. And so, so then what are you doing once you know that number? Are you creating specific benchmarks that you're trying to hit? What, what do you then do with contribution margin once you figure it out? Well, once I do that, then I, you know, you're discussing that with team members, right? So you, you have to be transparent within their, you know, what they're doing. Um, so that's the first step that what we're, we're going to do is that. Then the second thing we're trying to do is to take that and dig into it a little bit further because your fixed costs are just that, they're fixed, right? We need to hit variable costs as best as we can. So I'll go in and see how efficient a specific product is. Do, because from there you can say, do we need to optimize the listings? Right, and then you break it down even further. How's the videos performing? Um, you know, depending on what channel it is, right? You mentioned YouTube, right? So what can we do for the creative? What can we do um, if you're on Amazon? 
optimizing the listings. There's so many things you can do. So I think what, what we're always trying to do once you have scaled to the point is to take a step back and say, we still have to bring this down to a very basic level so that those numbers will increase the variables, you know, a variable cost will decrease or, you know, something on, on your sales end will increase because of those changes that you make. But really it's just getting clarity. I think once you break a certain number, um, just say a million, one to 2 million, it gets a lot harder to manage your business. It gets harder to do purchase orders. Uh, managing cash is a completely different business. Let's say just if you're under a million dollars. But if you know where your benchmarks need to be, it's like, okay, we can take a stab at a new campaign, right? Because you know, when you, when you grow a new channel, it's going to be, you're going to have, it's going to be very inefficient at the beginning. So you're working with you know, your teams, your agencies, and just saying, okay, this is the number that is very important to me. If you want to launch new campaigns, that's fine. We're going to go for how long is it going to take you to get to the point where this number here is growing or it's not. And if it's not, then it's inefficient. And what are we going to do? We're going to kill the campaign or give it more time or, you know, whatever we're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. And I love, I love the way you phrase it too. It's, it's getting clarity, right? Clarity for you, which is super important, but also clarity for your teams and your agencies and your partners, right? If, if you're not really seeing what's happening, what a particular combination of product and channel, what that's contributing, then how do you make adjustments? How do you know what you need to improve upon or adjust? And, and so really like that approach. I 100% agree with you. Uh, so let's, let's, yeah. And go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, and then just be transparent. Let, let the, you know, let the agencies you're working with or whomever you're working with within your company know this is what we have. This is what this is contributing. Ultimately, how, how good are you doing? You doing your job, right? Yeah. If you're going to grow, okay, we can grow and it's going to reduce, you know, you're not optimized at the beginning, but in the end, let's look at that number and see if we did actually add to, um, you know, ultimately our piggy bank. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you can't improve what you don't measure and you can't effectively improve if you're measuring the wrong things. And so this is really yeah. a, a way to get clarity and to get the right clarity. So I want to transition now and I want to talk about another metric that I don't really hear a lot of other e-commerce merchants talking about, and that's inventory turn rate. And so I want to hear you talk about that just a little bit, how you think about it, what adjustments you make to ensure that you're ROI positive on your inventory. Sure. So the, the trick can be inventory is simply just how many turns on a yearly basis you're moving the product, right, from when you purchase it. So you're going in, you're figuring out the landing cost of your products. Um, that's everything from your source to taxes to shipping to when it's in the building, right? That's your landing cost. So you have to be able to say, how quickly am I turning this? Because, you know, we always have to, it, it's a very good, it's very good um, uh, balance and, and, and checkpoint to say, hey, if I were to sell my business tomorrow, what, what are, what is a serious investor going to look at? And I think the investors want turns, right? They want to be able to say, and I'll get, I'll get back into why you want the same thing, but ultimately they're like, how quickly am I getting this product into products, uh, into the customer's hands? And then how often am I ordering it? Yeah. Because how, once how quickly you back am I into turning your, inventory into cash, right? I mean, that, that's really the, the, the way you're exactly. looking at it. 
I mean, ultimately, you want to you want to be able to look at your business and say, I'm putting in a dollar into my business. What am I getting back each year? And that is not an easy thing when you're in that seven or eight figure range because there's just a lot of things going on where small businesses still, uh, and there's challenges there. So you have to work within your working capital, right? But the inventory itself is, you know, even, even you might have a great, you might have a great cost of goods sold. Let's say you have a 17 or 18% landing cost of goods sold. Well, what if you're not, if you're not moving that, if it's taking you a year and a half to move or so many months to move, you're only having one turn a year or one and a half turns a year. What are you going to do? Because your, your cash now is tied up, right? That working capital is growing. That's a very dangerous place to be. Oh, my P&L looks great. Well, you know what? It took you for this product over here. It took you two years to move through, um, you know, the whole cycle of it. Well, what can you do? Well, go talk to your supplier and see if you can get lower MOQs. Well, my supplier, well, go talk to your supplier first, right? Let's, let's get those MOQs down. You've been doing business with them for five years. Let's see if, if they can warehouse something, you know, there's different opportunities, but you need to turn that product. Um, knowing your contribution margin, um, you, you know, your post aggregate, I mean, your post advertising, you know, gross, less your cost of goods sold, then tying that into your, your inventory turns is going to allow you to say annually, how, how good of an investment is this business, right? Cause you should be saying to yourself, if I'm making a hundred bucks a year, how much did it cost me to get that hundred dollars? Yeah. Yeah. And right. you know, every, a lot of people look at their monthly P and L. Well, your your working capital is too high. Your your P and L doesn't matter. You can go bankrupt, right? We've we've all heard the you know cash flow is always a problem. When you're growing, of course it is. It's really not easy to manage um, a business as it as it starts to take off. Yeah, the main, so I'm thing, I, the main at, thing I learned from my finance class in college was you know cash is king and profits don't necessarily equal cash flow. And without cash flow, you're you're in in trouble. Right. And you need both. You need to get a P&L that's solid, but you need cash to continue to grow your business. Yeah. So you just want to be able to say, um, I, I like to use the analogy with marketing and everything else. How much, when I put two bucks into the machine, I know I'm getting a Mountain Dew. I don't want to say, oh, what am I getting? Right. So right. It's, it's the same, it's the same concept, right? Putting this much money that's being invested in my business, what is my return? Because if you're putting that much money in, there are other, you know, investment opportunities you might have in life, right? Exactly. That um, you could be saying, well, let's scratch your head. I'm, I'm only getting, you know, 10 cents back or eight cents back. Yeah. And then a more valuable business is, you know, three bucks back, right? So, so think of it from an investor standpoint. Whoa, this, this business is moving, you know, they're growing. And then you can pretty much say to yourself, okay, we're, we're, it's, it's another good benchmark, did you say sure. this is the place where we want to be? Is there a particular inventory turn rate that you're usually looking for, or a particular inventory turn rate that most investors are looking for? I, I you know, from speaking with uh, you know fractional CFOs, people who who do this for e-commerce, they're saying you know a two to four x is what most investors are looking for. So they need to turn that inventory two to four times a year. Once you break four five times, then you're starting to increase multiples on, on the value of your business. Assuming, you know, of course, your, your landing costs are there, right? Your numbers still have to be there. You don't, 
you don't want to be able to go in with your post advertising gross, let's just say, and your cost of goods sold under a certain percent. You you need to know that percent as well. For us, it's pretty high, but our turns aren't as as fast. So there's the balance there. But generally speaking, you want to have two to four turns a year. I and I'm not, you know, who who am I? Right? I'm not I'm not the CFO who sees hundreds or thousands of businesses. I know for us that we have to we'll we'll negotiate with our suppliers to say, look, can you do this? We're going to buy this amount, but I need this in an MOQ of a third so that I can turn it faster, get more capital, and then we can continue to grow with you. So so basically the way to look at it, you know, two two to four turns a year on your inventory. If you're on the lower end of that turn rate, then you're probably going to want a higher contribution margin, right? Which is which is you know, exactly more, more contribution profit there per per product. Okay, great. Yeah, and you just work the formula, right? So if you can get a lower cost of goods sold, fine. You can have slower turns. But I think investors, especially today, because e-commerce is in that still in that boom mode, especially after last year and into this year, I think the investors want to see like a, a product that moves. And and when I say product, that's how you want to measure it, right? Not just as the business, it's, you know, dive into the numbers. You might have, some people have large catalogs. We'll dive into the 80-20 rule because the bottom line is almost every business has that, right? It's not, not all times should be spent equally. The same thing with products. Go in, find those top X, you know, 20% that are really turning and then just put more money into it, reduce the campaigns on the slower movers, sell those out and then go and try to cherry pick some more new products. And then then all of those numbers just start to move in your favor. And then you'll have less working capital, more cash and opportunities. Love it, love it. So uh, let's talk about some of your favorite tools and resources slash books. Cause I know we we talked about it in, in our prep call, uh, at least one really cool tool that you use and then also a really great book that you recommended. And, and so you wanna elaborate on those just a little bit? Um, sure. So, um, if you're looking at for, for Amazon and our business, we use Helium 10. Um, great tool. We use I, it as well. It's, yeah, it's a great tool. You know, so they're giving me that, that number that I'm looking for, my contribution margin on a daily basis. Uh, I still have to go in there and pull out, you know, I'll export the products, look at that net margin number. And you also have to look at, obviously, the actual number that it brings in. You don't need a, you know, what is this 45% net margin do if it's bringing in a couple hundred bucks? Exactly. So you just look at those two numbers, um, export that. I love Helium 10. I just love it. I just think it's a great, the company is great. The software is, it's, it's just a changer. It literally just says, okay, I don't have to calculate this too much. But again, I need to dive into those products still and to figure out each product's contribution margin. Um, so Helium 10 is a great product. We like Finale inventory, uh, really changed our business uh, model in the sense of that's, that's how, that's the hub of the whole business, right? It's not the website, not Amazon. It's this, it's the centerpiece where everyone can go in. The whole, everyone in the business has to know how to use that piece of technology. We're on Magento. They have to know Magento, right? They have to know Finale. They have to know, you know, a couple other things, but for the most part, um, finale inventory. And we used to have a custom ERP. Um, we switched to finale after years. It's just, 
it's just run everything very smoothly. So it all, it all depends on the size of your business, the scalability, uh, larger businesses, a lot of like people gravitate to NetSuite. I'm not going to talk about that because we don't use it, but for us, Finale is a perfect fit. And we really, it's rare you get software that's an ERP that's this strong. So yeah. I like Finale inventory. I, I love uh, it. And, and just I'll, I'll elaborate on that just a little bit. I know you, you mentioned it. And so I was impressed as you talked about it. And then I went and checked out Finale inventory, their site. And my buddy, Brett Haney from Microfiber Wholesale, there's a big quote from him right on the homepage about how much he loves it. So, so you're basically using Finale as an, as an ERP. Yes. Right. And um, the neat thing about it was as you dive into it, they've done a great job but you'll see contribution margins. You can figure that out pretty. And, and again, I have Helium 10 for that, but you know, when the ERP, when they're reporting has a lot of the benchmark reports, the KPIs already built in that it's like, cool. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to export this to a Google sheet, do my own calculations. It's already there. And those are the, those are the, the front end uh, reporting where I, I found that a lot of the, when I reviewed a lot of these other softwares for ERPs, they just didn't have it. So it, it really is a solid tool. We don't have many complaints. I mean, I give it like a nine, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> nine out of 10. So. And, and you're right. Those, those things, that is the business, right? That's the stuff you have to manage to, to continue to, to grow and, and thrive. And then, and then you mentioned a book and I'll actually chime in on this because you made the recommendation and I actually got it and read it. Uh, but you mentioned the uh, simple numbers. I believe that's the name of it. Uh, you want to just talk about that a little bit and why you like it so much? Sure. It does. Um, I think his name is Craig Crabtree. I mean, uh, sure. yeah, Crabtree but, for yeah. sure. Don't remember the first name, but yeah. So he just, uh, there's a couple of things that he, he, he talks about. He talks about contribution margin. Right. It's like, you better know this. Um, so we already went over that. The other thing he talks about, it's a little bit more difficult, but he talks about, he gives an example in there. I don't know if you remember about how um, Belichick is like, you know, yeah. probably the, the, one of the best coaches, right? If not the best coach, but how he, how you, you, you have to manage a business like him. And what that means is he has a salary cap. So he gives the example of, I think it was a defensive back. And the defensive back was an elite defensive back and he was just moving and his contract was up in two years. So he knew this guy's going to demand something like four times what they're paying him. And he's like, boom, salary cap's done. So what did he do that year? He went and drafted and you know, the Patriots always being good. He's drafting like, you know, 28 through 30. I don't know how many teams there are, but like 32. So he's drafting low. He went out and got one of the, you know, a premier defensive back and he put him under his tutelage for two years and as the um, as the author explains, this just worked perfectly for their business model, right? Yeah. So he's he's going to pay someone you know one tenth of of what his you know his elite defensive back is going to get on the open market, free agency, and then there there you go, right? So that's their business model. How do we stay? You know how how do you manage moving parts? Because the business is going to happen the same way with your business. I mean, yes, you want to always pay your people the best. But you have to keep, you have to have that backup plan. You don't know what's going to happen. We had people um, in our technology and they were great. And all of a sudden what happens? Monster companies come after them. Yeah. And you know what? We're not competing with those types of salaries for this. Right. right. So 
Yeah, having well, that I want to elaborate on that just a little bit because I think it's such a great analogy. And, and I, one thing I love about the book is it's, it's it is simple, like the name applies, and it's it's actually Greg Crabtree. I think that's what you said, but just to confirm, I, I googled that it, it is Greg Gregory. And so, what's great about that salary cap analogy and the Patriots? And I, and I will just a, a side note: a lot of people are kind of dogging Bill Belichick this year because the Buccaneer, you know, Tom Brady left. The Buccaneers won yep. the Super Bowl. But let's be fair, right? Like Tom Brady went to an absolutely stacked and loaded Buccaneers team. No, and no, not to yeah. knock Tom Brady at all, but he, he did a fantastic job, amazing job. And and Bill Belichick, he's going to have to rebuild a little bit. But one of the things that the Patriots have always been great at doing is maximizing that salary cap. And I think that salary cap is a great analogy because, yeah, to your point, you want to pay your people well. You want to, and we always try to do that. Like, let's pay our people as much as we possibly can. But there's always a limit, right? Like we can't just, we can't pay our yeah. people a million dollars a year. Like what, you know, we don't have that kind of money. So um, that salary cap does kind of apply because we've we've only got so much revenue right now and we can only grow so quickly. And so, so yeah, I, I love that analogy. It's fantastic. Cool, cool. Any, any, yeah, any no, I, from the from the book? No, I mean, you know, whenever I read a book, I'm like, I just want one thing out of it. Yeah, I got the contribution margin. I got that understanding. Just, I think it's like there's moving parts here. Just because everything is great, change the analogy of a person to a product, right? This product's great. Okay, it's not going to last forever. There's going to be, you know, 500 people coming after it. Um, you have IP, you know? So just keep that in mind. Whatever that moving piece is, don't ignore it. It's not going away. And if you learn to manage things correctly, I think you can you know, be, be pretty successful at it. Great. So let, let's talk about just a couple more things here as we, as we kind of come towards the end of our time, but let's talk about product and product to market fit. And then you and I talked a little bit about the, the hedgehog concept, which is a concept that the Jim Collins pioneered uh, in the book, Good to Great. But can, can you kind of talk about the way you look at product and product to market fit? Sure. I, I kind of break down the business into three steps, product market fit, great profit margins, and then execute, 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 which is probably like 95% of it. Right. But the first thing is the product market fit. Um, once you have that, people find you, um, just takes a lot of pressure away and you have to constantly be working at that so that people ultimately want to buy what you're selling them, right? The purpose of the business is is to make money, right? I mean, yes, you take care of your employees. Yes, you take care of your customers, but you got to make money. And how do you do that? Well, get a great product market fit. And then you're going to get customers. You're going to have employees who want to be there. So you're constantly um, working at that. And and it's it's it can be a bloody ocean, right? So that's another book I would recommend is Blue Oceans. Um, so great, that's a great book. But anyway, um, tying that into your customer and making sure there's a product market fit along with the hedgehog concept, which is, uh, that comes from uh, Jim Collins book, uh, good to great. Right? right. Right. Yep. Which is just a, you know, that's a, that's an incredible book, right? It's a must without question. Like, it's an absolute must. Yeah, it is. But he talks about the hedgehogs. And when I look at my business, I'm just going to say, okay, we have 2000 products but we have, we have like six or eight designs that no one on the market, I'm going to dominate those. I know that there's a market out there. They're private label. We, we, we created our own design and I'm just going to say, I'm, this is going to be, we are going to form 
our mound, our hedgehog, and we are not going to lose. And that's what we ultimately do. Um, with what we're trying to always do is, you know, add one or two a year, right? So the goal isn't just, you know, resting your laurels. It's going to be, let's get, we have our hedgehog here. These are our hedgehogs. We're not going to lose. We're going to grow our market share, you know, market coverage, whether it's on the site, Amazon, Google, whatever platform it is. And we're going to make sure we own that. So tying, tying that, those things together, once you do that, I think that, that everything else kind of plays out as long as you stay focused. It's so easy, especially when there's moderate success, it's so easy to go after the next shining, you know, next shining product, next shining business. So just stay focused. Um, and I'm sure so many of your people have said, you got to stay laser focused. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I love that. You do that. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, you know, you can. So just, just elaborate on what the, the hedgehog concept is. It kind of uses, I think it ties into a parable of the hedgehog and the fox, right? And, and the, the fox yep. knows many things, many things, right? The fox is cunning and crafty and sneaky and knows all kinds of ways to, to get its prey. Well, the hedgehog only knows one thing, right? It rolls into a ball and it's got this spiky stuff on its back and, and it protects itself. It's simple. It's one thing, right? And so that's where kind of that focus comes in and knowing your one thing really helps. And, it, and it, it's important in the very beginning, but it's important as you scale as well. So yeah, I just, just wanted to underscore that. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is when you get that, then you don't have to, it becomes a blue ocean, right? It becomes an opportunity where other people can't attack you. It can be a great design. It can be IP, right? It, it, something functional to, you bring into the market. But for us, our designs when they they can't they can't attack them and and it also you have the higher price points so you have you have just a, a completely different you know you can you can ask for a thirty percent more once once you do that to to a product so yeah that's exactly what it is awesome so really I have kind of two things left uh, to talk about here as we kind of look to wrap up uh, you, you talked about something you know once you've achieved some moderate success which I know a lot of people listening are already there, right? They built a cool brand, they're scaling, they maybe passed that one to two million mark and they're, and, they're, and they're climbing. What's the toughest thing to do, in your opinion, once you've had some you know, moderate success? I think just human nature, the comfort zone. Yeah. I want to just go into work every day and check my you know, bank account, make sure it's doing this. Um, along with other things, but... The, you know, the, we've heard Bezos is day one. Um, Love it. You know, we look at some of these, some of these guys, Musk, and he's got, they have a tremendous, it's, those numbers meet, doesn't, I don't think they mean anything to them at a certain point. Right, right. They just have a tremendous drive. Why is Tom Brady still playing? Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, who, who's going to win seven Super Bowl titles? I don't think anybody's going to do that, but he, but he still wants to play. Right. Still, he loves the right. process of playing and competing. Right. He loves dropping back and throwing a football. And it's just a tremendous passion and he wants to, you know, whatever his goals are, those internal goals, you have to continue. But to me, it's remaining in incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly, you know, it's the cold shower thing, right? I, I talk to my wife a lot about the HVAC system, right? Cause we have climate control in the houses and like, you know, this isn't throughout time. We have a very convenient life. It doesn't matter where you are. You have heat, 
right? No matter who you are, uh, you pretty much have heat in the United States, let's just say. Yes. Uh, but coming into work, these successes, you know, everything's comfortable. Oh, turn up the air. It's hot. Turn, um, turn on the air conditioner. It's hot, right? So we have all these controls out there that are keeping our life comfortable. And then when you have your moderate level of success, well, what are you going to do, right? Because I, I, when we have our interview, they'll hear the same thing from me. My job is to create a platform for you to become your greatest possibility while you're here. And I am fanatically disciplined. You're going to have to be too. That's the person, that's the type of DNA we have here. So if you're, if you want to just get into a comfort zone and kind of cruise, it's probably not a good fit. And I just, I think that that's how I, I try to model um, my life and, and just my activities. I'm just going to say, I, you know, like I was saying, 2020, a word of the year, incredibly uncomfortable because things, once you do, you get complacent. I don't think you enjoy things as much once things are, you know, all those other things fall into place. So just try to do certain things on a daily basis. Just one, one or two things a week. That's like, oh, you know what? Come up with a problem and say, I'm going to fail at this. Yeah. Just say, I'm going to fail this. I, that's fine, but I'm going to try my best to succeed. And it's really going to stretch me because when you get to that, you know, when you get to the seat, you're running things. There's not as many people, to, you know, you're creating your own playbook. Right. So we have to remain fresh and there's competition still out there. But, you know, I, I love the masterminds. The masterminds I'm in um, just have, they have tremendous value. When you get into the right mastermind and you can talk to the people, but you're learning like, okay, they're stretching you. You've got to do this. Stop being dishonest with yourself. Go do this. That just keeps, you just keep stretching and then having that burning desire to say, Hey, I've got to grow more. And I think as you keep going on a daily basis, epiphanies occur more and more. Like, Oh, I get that. My gosh. You can look back and say, how can I not get that after doing this for 10 or 12 years? But that's where, that's where your growth is. And that's, that's where when you see excellence in any discipline, I think that that's probably one of the things that a lot of these people have. They're just not, they're not going to be complacent. They're just going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Yep. You have to get used to, or maybe you would say even, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable and be willing to lose at something, be willing to fail at something. And sometimes that little bit of failure really creates a drive and a spark and a hunger to, to do better. And, and just like the greatest athletes, like they, they just love to compete and then they want to get out there and continue competing. It's not so much about the goal or reaching some moment when you're done and because your goal is reached. It's about the process and it's about getting better. It's a process. Um, yep. And, and, and you actually... Now, I was going to say, Nick, Nick Saban, um, if you ever listen to him, I'm a big fan, um, but he's just like, goals don't matter. Right. Your process is what matters, right? Totally agree. Yeah. And, and I, I think this is in the book Atomic Habits as well, where he talks about you don't rise to your goals, you fall to the level of your systems and processes. And so really- That's really, it. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So so one last thing here, and John, this has been fantastic. It's been really fun. We, I can keep doing, keep going here for another hour or so. But uh, what are you focusing on here in 2021 and beyond? And, and you can- Talk about any specifics in the business or anything you kind of see or predict that's going to happen in the e-commerce space. So I'm really kind of leaving this wide open, but but what are you focusing on here this year and beyond? I think the, you know, when I fall back to that incredibly uncomfortable and I think 2020 was just very humbling for us, right? We didn't know 
in from March 15th to like, I don't know, May 30th, May 31st, we didn't know what was going to happen with this virus. So it kind of just was like, you had to take a step back. Um, so I just learned a lot during that to say, how are we going to manage this? Because in our business, initially it fell off, you know, social distancing, birthday parties. Yeah, we can't have parties like, right now. We were right? down like 80, 80% in two days. Wow. That's kind of insane, right? Which has been stable. People have always said, oh, you're in a stable business, right? You're in a stable business. Okay, there it wasn't. <laughs> so you just have to be able to take that, really take that hard look. And it's not easy because we were just talking about when things work for so many years. But the, um, I just left and I said, you know what? My value as a person is not my successes and failures, the results of my successes and failures. It's not. I've got family, um, employees. I care about my employees, right? I really care about them. Um, and I just, I think that if you keep that, that type of thought process, then, then when the sales drop, like last year, I wasn't like, oh my, and I wasn't, I wasn't freaking out. I was just like, okay, I think people are still going to have birthdays <laughs> at some point. Exactly. Yep. Um, and there's opportunities. So it was just, just that where I think I took the step back and I said, let's look at all the other great things that are happening in your, you know, around you, um, you know, in life in general. So that that's awesome. And, and I know that doesn't really you. answer your question for 20, 2021. I don't like to predict. Yeah. <laughs> I really am just like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look what's going on all over the place. Things are moving. Um, going back to, you know, some of the things, just go back to your systems and try to develop, continue to develop them. Yeah. And, and really, you know, thinking that 2020 was a great example, how worthless were a lot of our predictions related to 2020, right? Nobody foresaw that a global pandemic was going to happen in 2020 and all the ways we'd have to adjust. So yeah, I think, I think looking at, you know, where the trends are headed, where the industry is headed, maybe making some light predictions, but then really just ultimately reacting to what's happening and, and, you know, improving your systems and improving your processes. That's really what it's about. So no, I think that's a, I think that's a fantastic answer. So, so John, as we wrap up, and this has been amazing, thank you uh, so much for the time and the, and the wisdom. Uh, where can people reach out to you? Obviously, you know, hey, if you need party supplies, we're going to all uh, have parties again here in the <laughs> future. Where can they find those? And then, you know, do you like to connect with people on LinkedIn and Facebook and things like that? And if not, totally okay. Sure. You can hit me on LinkedIn. Um, you send an email to me directly, John, J-O-H-N, at discountpartysupplies.com. I'm happy. I, I enjoy... Like, like, like all of us, right? We just like the conversations. If anyone yeah. finds anything, hey, what do you think of this? I love to have conversations and just see if we can uh, help people grow, right? That's awesome. Sounds good. John, this has been tremendous. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll have to chat again soon. All right. Uh, Brett, have a wonderful day. Appreciate it. Okay, you too, John. Thank you. And as always, I appreciate you tuning in. And I also want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. So what do you like about the show? Do you have any other topics, suggestions, and ideas? Hit me up and let me know. And hey, if you think we've earned it, we'd love that five-star review on iTunes that helps other people discover the show. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening.
At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.